This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, September 24th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, a blues and brews debrief. Sports update with Vinton Cole. Listening club goes for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And a mountain weather forecast. On a normal year, following each major music festival, Telluride Parks and Recreation staff, law enforcement, and festival organizers meet for a debrief on the weekend. With 2021 an unusual year, to say the least, when it comes to festivals, the Telluride Blues and Brews Festival is the first to get such a report. According to a summary provided by the Parks and Recreation Department, festival operations in Town Park and around town in general went smoothly. Blues and Brews was permitted to have a maximum capacity of 9,000 people per day, and each day was pre-sold out. However, when the final note was sung, each day reported under capacity. Saturday saw the most music lovers, with 7,705 people. Friday next, at 7,309, Sunday saw the lowest attendance when numbers dropped to 6,743 people. Even with a packed park, law enforcement reported a smooth festival. Between Thursday night and Sunday night, there were just over 130 calls for service, four arrests with one in festival grounds and 20 parking tickets. Emergency services also note operations went smooth, and there were few festival-related contacts. Public Health reported good COVID protocols when it came to health screenings and mask use along food safety standards. Camping also sold out ahead of the festival with 1,400 passes. That's 200 less than previous years. However, once again, not everyone made it. Only 1,132 campers checked in. And while music lasted late into the night, the festival lived up to the expected curfew. Music on the main stage wrapped up by 10 p.m. each night with dulcet tones extending towards, but not exceeding, the 1 a.m. curfew at the blues stage. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. It's homecoming, there's soccer and volleyball. In this installment of Sports Roundup, Telluride High School's Finton Cole brings the latest. Have a listen. This is Finton Cole on your sports update with Chris Murray. Mr. Murray, thank you for coming on the show with us today. My pleasure, Finton. Boys varsity soccer beat the Palisade Bulldogs on their home turf 7-2. They are 2-0 at home and are second in the Intermountain Soccer Association, or IMSA. What, did, what would you say about the varsity soccer team since when they beat the Palisade Bulldogs on their home turf? Uh, it was a really great game. It was great to kind of see the soccer team back at the home field. It seemed like it's been a while since we've seen them, but it's been really good for them. And, uh, you know, always when they get a chance to perform well against a team in a higher classification, that's always great. How did the junior varsity team go against Palisade in their first game of the season? The junior varsity team played well, you know, and uh, we've had some kids stepping up like R.J. Robinson and goalie. We've needed some extra goalies on there, and he actually played the first half, had a great shutout, um, and then we went into the second half, and the kids played strong, but some good goals and some good team play. Wait, so we won against the Palisade Bulldogs, JV won? I think so. (laughs) 
girls varsity volleyball played against the Dolores Bears and unfortunately lost three sets to one, making them three and six overall and sixth in the San Juan Basin Volleyball Organization, or SJBVO. They are off to Crested Butte to face the Titans tonight to snap their two-game losing streak. Mr. Murray, who are some of the best players on that team? It's actually a well-rounded team. It's been really fun to watch them come in. We've got some older girls with a mix of younger girls because we lost some pretty, uh, pretty great seniors um, last year. So there's been some younger girls really stepping in and, in and taking a, on a roles as starters and as people coming in off the bench. So overall, it's just been great to see the older girls helping the younger girls and them playing well. How's the junior varsity team against the Titans? Uh, the junior varsity volleyball teams, they stand a good chance against the Crested Butte Titans on Friday, you know, and it's homecoming, so that always adds a little bit of excitement to the game as well. So I anticipate that there'll be a lot of, lot of people in the gym, and it'll be really exciting for those girls to play. Boys varsity golf finished eighth in the tournament. That's the farthest we have ever gone in our school history. That was amazing. Maybe one day we'll get fifth, and then the next year, maybe, we might just be at the top. Mr. Murray, how well did you think the golf team played? The golf team did really good this year. I mean, Bob St. George was our a new coach this year, and it was awesome that he kind of stepped in and just took charge. We had a ton of help also with uh, Tiger Wright Ski and Golf. It was really great to work with them. Again, we appreciate everything they do for those kids. And, you know, we did have a number of kids go to regionals, and they, like you said, they finished eighth as a team, which is fantastic for them. Uh, the future's kind of bright for those kids as we're not losing any anybody except for Nathan Stotler who you know he finished well in regionals as well just missed kind of the state cutoff there at with the 83 I think he shot around at 86 or 87 um, but overall the, the team is set up for success next year which is going to be awesome. Thank you for joining us on the sports update today. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School and we'll see you next week. This Monday, the Wilkinson Public Library is hosting its monthly listening club. It's like a book club, but for albums. For September, Warren Gilbreth is leading a session on his album of choice, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. KOTO's Matt Hoish spoke with Gilbreth about the album. He says he first heard music from the album as a high schooler at the Bonnaroo Music Festival. All of a sudden, this song started, this crazy, like, cacophony of sound and, like, something I had never really heard before. And whatever conversation that we were in the middle of, all of us stopped and listened to this song. And I remember looking at the schedule and thinking, huh, Wilco, it was day one. And I remember thinking, Wilco, remember that name, you know? Fast forward to 2006 or 2007, and I'm working in a, a local record shop back home in Knoxville, Tennessee. All of a sudden, one of the guys there put on a CD, and it was that intro. And it just brought me back, like, wait a second, I know who this is. This is Wilco. I saw them at Bonnaroo, and this is the song that caught my attention, which was I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, like the intro of the album. We had a copy of it in the shop, and I bought it, and I remember coming home and putting it on my CD player. My roommate came over like within 20 seconds of the album being on. I was like, dude, I think your CD player's broken. I was like, no, that's just, that's how it's supposed to sound. I am an American aquarium assassin down the avenue. 
they were on the Reprise record label. And Reprise wanted them to do something that was more poppy, more catchy. And they got into a dispute over it. Um, so Reprise pretty much just gave them the record and released them for no penalty. And uh, when that happened, they also fired a band member. And all of a sudden, they started noticing all these MP3s were getting leaked. And Wilco had this idea of, you know, well, let's just release it on our on our website, and then it won't there won't be crappy quality MP3s out there. And they ended up getting like 50,000 hits on their website a day, like eight times more than what they normally get. So then they went to shop the record back around and ended up landing with Nonesuch Records, who was owned by Warner Brothers, who owned Reprise. So Warner Brothers paid them to make it, let them leave without paying for it, and then signed them back and paid for the rights to get it again. So like, it's this great kind of underdog story. And it ended up being a huge success for him. When they finally got on tour to support the album, everybody knew all the lyrics before the actual physical copy came out. You write about the stars Each one is a setting sun Musicians kind of have a joke that if you play a bad note, just play it twice and it's jazz. Making people think that what you're doing is is what you tried to do. What I learned from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is there's beauty in disaster. There's gold in a lot of mistakes. And if you sit with a mistake long enough, you learn to kind of like it. I never really thought about it, but I would think that that same mentality of embracing your mistakes has spilled over into my regular life, and all of my mistakes have brought me to Telluride, and I can't be happier being here. The Wilkinson Public Library's Listening Club on Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is Monday, September 27th from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Telluride Music Company store on Main Street. The Grand Mesa and Compagre and Gunnison National Forests will be conducting prescribed burns in San Miguel County and the surrounding areas this fall. According to the GMUG, the goal is to reduce vegetation to lessen the risk of larger wildfires and to improve wildlife habitat and ecosystem health. The GMUG is planning four burns in the Norwood and Ure Ranger districts. Thunder Road will burn approximately 350 acres six miles southwest of Norwood, adjacent to the Thunder Road. The goal is to increase resiliency and reproduction of ponderosa pine, improve wildlife habitat, increase range forest production, and protect nearby properties. Sanborn Park will burn approximately 150 acres northeast of Norwood. The burn aims to increase resiliency and reproduction of ponderosa pine and protect adjacent private property from spread of unplanned wildfire. Two burns outside of Delta will burn approximately 2,300 acres combined. 
The GMUG plans to conduct the burns from September through November. As conditions allow, air quality will be closely monitored to mitigate smoke-related impacts on the surrounding communities. Colorado's representative to the 3rd Congressional District, Lauren Boebert, introduced articles of impeachment against President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris on Friday. The articles look to impeach the president for high crimes and misdemeanors for, quote, betrayal of the public trust. According to a news release, the impeachment comes in the wake of the U.S.'s withdrawal from Afghanistan. In a statement, Representative Boebert says Biden, quote, willfully abandoned his duty as president and, quote, gave aid and comfort to America's enemies, including the Taliban. With Democrats controlling both the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate, the articles of impeachment, in all likelihood, will not move forward. The outlook remains grim for the Colorado River Basin. A new five-year forecast from the Bureau of Reclamation shows already historic low levels in Lakes Powell and Mead are on track to keep dropping due to drought and low runoff. At Lake Powell, the Bureau says water could get too low to generate hydropower as soon as July 2020, even earlier than past estimates. One reclamation official says the data was, quote, troubling and called for more collaborative work. The latest forecast provides a more dire, but perhaps more accurate, assessment of the river's future. Models now use more recent data that factors in the effects of climate change. Koto has been looking at policing is changing in Boulder in the series Under Pressure. So far, we've examined the intersection of reform and mental health in the Boulder County Sheriff's Department and how Boulder police and the residents of one apartment complex are tackling high rates of crime together. Today, reporters Lee Patterson and Scott Franz spoke with KUNC's Aaron O'Toole about why so many officers are leaving the force and what's being done to fill those vacancies. Welcome to both of you. Hi there. Hey. Lee, tell us about these retirements and resignations. How many officers are leaving and do we know where they're going? So much of my reporting focused on the Boulder County Sheriff's Office, so I'll start there. Last year, the department lost 32 deputies compared to an average of 15 over the previous five years. Sheriff Joe Pelley says that the patrol department in particular was having a hard time staffing shifts because of it. They were resigning to literally move to Montana or Wyoming or go to Missouri and start a chicken farm. And he says that many of these departures have had to do with one piece of Colorado's new police reform legislation, and that's the provision that removes qualified immunity, meaning that officers may be held personally liable for up to $25,000 for civil rights violations. Now, Lee, were you able to talk with any of the deputies who have left this particular department? I contacted many. Um, I did talk to a few, including Adam Gerke. He's a deputy who left the sheriff's office last fall. And since then, he and his family have moved to Alaska, where he's still a cop in a much smaller department. And what Adam told me mirrors much of what I heard from other people I talked to for this series, that the legislation was too much, that you could make a mistake and lose your savings because of it. Now, 
there were a few personal reasons for the move to Alaska for Adam, but he says that if last summer hadn't happened, he and his family would not have left Colorado. Is this something that's happening everywhere, or is it unique to Colorado given the state's recent police reform legislation that you mentioned? It's a little hard to generalize. According to a recent national survey by a group called the Police Executive Research Forum, there's been an 18% increase in resignations and a 45% increase in retirements. In Colorado, I did talk with other departments, um, Aurora PD, Boulder PD, Steamboat PD. They've all reported major departures uh, you know, over the last year or year and a half. The tricky thing is that statewide numbers don't actually reflect this trend. The number of separations reported to the attorney general's office last year was actually down slightly compared to the previous couple of years. What do the sponsors of Colorado police reform legislation make of the fact that some departments are losing people? Representative Leslie Harrod was one of the prime sponsors of the police reform bill, and she's skeptical that the legislation has much to do with these early retirements and departures because, she says, departments in other states without recent reforms are losing officers as well. And so what that says is that specific reform efforts aren't actually contributing to the attrition. She basically thinks there's been a culture shift that attitudes towards policing have changed. And I attribute that to the excessive use of force cases that we're seeing um, and the body camera footage that we're seeing of law enforcement officers harming the community. A lot of folks just don't want to associate with that and that kind of profession. And so I believe that the reform efforts that we're doing here in Colorado um, will eventually lead to better um, recruitment for higher quality law enforcement officers. I also talked with the criminal justice chair for the NAACP of Boulder County. His name is Darren O'Connor, and he was more blunt. In his words, if officers are leaving because they don't want to be held accountable, then good riddance. You know, the challenge then is to find replacements that honor that uh, responsibility. But it, it certainly shouldn't be beyond the capabilities of the police force to hire people and train them in, so that they respect the authority and the power that they're given. Scott, I want to bring you into the conversation here. How is recruiting going a year after lawmakers passed all of these reforms? Well, Representative Herod is correct that some departments are starting to pursue a different cast of officers. They think that, you know, recruiting a different type of officer is key to their reform efforts. For example, in Boulder, Police Chief Maris Harold has a goal of recruiting 30% women officers. She says studies have shown that female officers don't use uh, force quite as often as, as male officers do. But on the other hand, Chief Harold also tells me that Recruiting right now is really challenging, and, and meeting those goals is going to be tough. The combination of the pandemic, you know, the policing crisis after George Floyd murder, all of it adds up to it's a very hard time to attract talented people at a time where you really need um, top-tier, service-driven, educated police officers. So many departments are committed to changing who is doing the policing, but they worry those people will be hard to recruit right now because of the current climate around policing. So what are police doing to try to reach these people, you know, to try and overcome these challenges? For Harold, part of her strategy has been a sort of PR blitz. She's been appearing regularly in front of city councils, holding town meetings. Um, they're going through a master planning process, and she even stopped by 
to talk to high school students recently to, to get their thoughts. And she tells me some of this is already starting to get some results. And I just had a guy call me, just uh, he heard me on a town hall and he called and he goes, I'm 47 years old. I've been a professional my whole life. I've taken off this last year to watch my small children. But after hearing that policing really is a higher calling, he goes, you're right, and I want to be part of a service-driven agency. Scott, I also want to ask about the diversity of candidates. Some departments are trying to make their police forces more representative of the communities that they serve. How are those efforts being affected? Chief Harold says her department is not as diverse as she would like it to be. Uh, she says there are recruiting challenges in Colorado, um, but she stresses that she wants officers with the diversity of perspectives, people from different countries, backgrounds, different professions before they join the force, and ultimately well-educated. Uh, and research does indicate that the more education an officer has, the less likely they are to use physical force. Uh, Harold also recently told Boulder High School students that the murder of George Floyd, for example, showed the limits of only focusing on an officer's race. If you're not the dominant culture, usually you will go toward what the dominant culture is engaged in. And so as you saw with the Derek Chauvin case, there was a lot of diversity there with those police officers, but the dominant culture usually wins out. And so it's much more important to me to get people that think differently about policing. She's referring there to Chauvin's backup officers, some of whom are not white and are facing charges related to Floyd's murder. But during my reporting, I found that an officer's background is important to some. For example, at the San Juan del Centro Apartments in Boulder, Sonia Sarabia says many officers who used to patrol this mostly Hispanic community could not speak Spanish, and English-speaking children often had to translate for their parents when police came, uh, leading to some tension. In my case, I wouldn't trust my child to say, okay, for example, oh, I saw this person with a gun, or uh, I saw this person hitting someone. That child will not feel comfortable saying that to the officer. Fast forward to today, and the complex is patrolled by an officer who grew up in Mexico, and he says that helps him connect more easily with the residents and gain their trust. Do you have a sense of how this is going on a statewide level? Well, some national studies, like the survey from the Police Executive Research Forum that Lee mentioned, are showing the recruiting challenges so far are not as pressing as the officer resignations and retirements we're seeing. Many departments are still finding ways to fill out their ranks. It might just be taking them a little bit longer. But what I have heard is some are not getting the kinds of applications they're hoping for. Corey Christensen is the outgoing police chief in Steamboat Springs in northwest Colorado. Up until recently, he had also been leading a statewide police chief organization. I get a lot of applications for people who don't think they can get a job in another police agency, and they'll think I'm desperate. And, and they'll be like, yeah, I was fired three times for lying, but I know you need cops. And you can see why that might be a problem. Lee, let me bring you back in here for a moment. How have departures and then trouble hiring affected operations? Well, I think the situation is constantly changing, but uh, Joe Pelly, the Boulder County Sheriff, did say that staffing shortages have made it more difficult to prevent some types of crimes um, like auto theft, for example. So right now there's this whole catalytic converter theft thing going on that you heard about. And to stop that, really, you need to, staffing to do surveillance and follow folks around and set out some, uh, some bait cars. And, you know, and if you don't have the people to do that, it's hard to affect it. 
On the other hand, that department is making do with fewer people. Uh, Pelly described creating an online reporting system for low-level issues like losing a license plate rather than sending out deputies to respond to those calls. They're taking hundreds of reports a month this way. And Pelly also says that hiring within his department has stabilized somewhat. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. You're welcome. My pleasure. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 45 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and partly cloudy at night with a high near 70 degrees and a low in the mid-40s. Sunday expect partly sunny skies with a chance of showers and a high in the mid-60s. Sunday night calls for mostly cloudy skies with a chance of rain and a low around 45 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, September 24th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hi, this is Robin Kondracki, and I'm the Advocate Coordinator at the San Miguel Resource Center. We are offering two free victim advocacy trainings, one in Norwood at the Lone Cone Library and the other in Telluride at the Wilkinson Public Library. Both trainings are held for three consecutive weeks and have an online and in-person component, totaling to a 40-hour comprehensive program. We cover a wide variety of topics, including domestic violence, sexual assault, victim advocacy, trauma and mental health, child advocacy, and more. Upon completion of the training, participants will become certified victim advocates in the state of Colorado. A certified victim advocate may volunteer with SMRC by taking shifts on the 24-hour helpline, though volunteering is not a requirement. Being a certified victim advocate provides you with an incredibly unique opportunity to help members of your community who need your support, even if they may appear to be completely fine on the surface level. Intimate partner violence has always been present in our region, but the pandemic has unfortunately exacerbated the circumstances that can lead to this type of violence. Now more than ever, you have the ability to potentially change somebody's life as a victim advocate in our community. Our volunteer advocates are essential to the success of SMRC, and we are incredibly grateful for any help offered to us. Volunteers are the reason the 24-hour helpline is able to exist, which serves so many individuals regionally who may be in crisis. SMRC would love to invite you into our volunteer community. If you are interested in registering for either the Norwood or Telluride training, or if you would like more information on the training, please email me at advocates at smrcco.org or give me a call at 970-728-5842, extension three pound. Spots are limited, so be sure to register soon. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Cutup. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.